temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. This is the official radio home of the Chicago Cubs. Listen to every game here on Sports Radio 670 The Score and the Odyssey app. Hamp hits a drive into right center field. Back goes Kane. That ball is going to be off the wall. Live from the Hyundai Studios. Presented to you by your local Hyundai dealers. We are WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. An Odyssey station. The Score! It's the first pitch, right? Um, it was a cutter for a strike off the way. Um, and then they proceed to. Egan Thompson coming back 2-1. And now McCutcheon does get hit. And McCutcheon points out at Keegan Thompson. Now some of the guys come out of the Milwaukee dugout. McCutcheon walking down the line. Here come the guys from the bullpen. Jason Hayward comes in. Cubs none no too happy. No punches thrown, but this is not that surprising, to be honest with you, Ron, what happened just now. Since 2020, the Cubs have been hit by Milwaukee 27 times. And Wilson Contreras, 15. And that's all you need to know. It's enough. And the Cubs are saying enough is enough. That courtesy of 670, the score, fine, fine radio station, Pat Hughes, Ron Coomer, such good, kind, wonderful men, broadcasters, excellent ones, uh, talking about a dramatic moment in yesterday's game. You're listening to Hit and Run on the score. Matt Spiegel is who I am. I will be here with you up until 1245. And there's the number from Coombe. 27 times the Cubs have been hit by Brewers pitchers since the start of 2020. That is the most by any team against any other team in that same span. Wilson Contreras has been hit, I think, 51 times in his life, something like 17 times by Brewers pitchers in his life. Just an outrageous, outrageous amount. you got to pitch inside. And if you're going to lean over the plate, you have to deal with getting hit. That's why guys wear elbow guards and, you know, um, sometimes they'll wrist guards and things like that. I'm cool with them wearing the guards because hitting is hard. It goes back to that. And pitchers will throw inside. Don Drysdale hit a lot of people but threw inside an awful lot. You don't have to hit a lot of people. Pedro Martinez was terrifying. Yeah, now Pedro, every once in a while, would hit somebody up high. 
hit him in the head, and that's no good. But just you have to have that fear in there as a, as a pitcher. That is something that is in your arsenal, but you have to do it with control. The Brewers have gone above and beyond against the Cubs, certainly against Contreras. And overall, look, it's the most time that anybody's been hit. That team, 27 times by the Brewers. So Keegan Thompson going out there to throw at Andrew McCutcheon is not a surprise, like Pat Hughes said. I suspect Keegan Thompson will be suspended. Don't know if he'll appeal. Um, You know, and McCutcheon, as a veteran guy, knew that it was coming. He had issues with the way that it happened which is kind of fascinating because what it ends up leading to is yet another nuance in the unwritten rules of baseball and how you hit people and how you don't hit people. I know it it is scary to get hit, especially if you are Jason Hayward, who was hit in the face a while back, if you're Ian Happ, who's been hit in the face, or if you're Andrew McCutcheon, who has been hit and hurt in the past. God, imagine being... Uh, what, why is his name escaping me? The Mets outfielder who got hit last year in the eye. You know? Michael Conforto? No, Kevin, uh, the former Ray, who got hit. Oh, Kevin the, Kiermeyer. Yeah, uh, No, not Kevin Kiermeyer. He's the current Ray, so maybe it's not Kevin. There's another former Ray center fielder. Textures will 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 give it to me. He I'm got, sure someone will get it, give it to him. In a matter of moments, because it's probably not Kevin. Um, got hit in the eye, and his whole face was purple, and it was horrifying. And as soon as he was healthy, he went back in. The bravery of those people, man, it, it's what you have to do. It's brutal. I don't have a problem when Giancarlo Stanton wears a helmet or others wear a helmet with that big old face guard that circles around. Kevin Pilar, thank you, Texters. It was a Kevin. See? I mix up my former Ray outfielder Kevin's, Kevin Pilar. Awful and terrifying. I remember my father telling me about Tony Canigliaro, still the youngest man ever to lead MLB in home runs, I do believe, with a scant total of 32 back in the 60s. But Tony C was hit in the face by a pitch from Jack Hamilton of the Angels and was never the same. Missed a year and was never the same. American League Rookie of the Year and, again, home run leader for the American League. So it, it, it's, it's a scary and terrifying thing, and obviously people have died and people's careers have been damaged. But if that's the way you're going to play, there's a way to do it. And you're going to use that to throw inside and even to hit somebody and be all pissed off? Then what do you do? Hit him in the back, and the point of Andrew McCutcheon is hit them early in the count. So it was what? I think it was the fourth pitch of the at-bat when Keegan Thompson hit Andrew McCutcheon, and Kevin Pillar was a Blue Jay. Was he not Ray as well? Am I just mixing up my, my excellent fielding Kevin center fielders, and he was never a Ray? God, it's terrible. I should not be allowed to host Hit and Run. I'd like to apologize. Toronto Blue Jays, San Francisco Giant, Red Sox, Colorado Rocky, and New York Met. He's an All-American center fielder in college at Cal State. And not a Ray. I'm so sorry. I, I, do I lose a baseball uh, bona fide? Possibly. I'll deal with it. Anyway, 
The point is, Andrew McCutcheon didn't like it. Listen to Andrew McCutcheon talk about this situation with Keegan Thompson, okay? Andrew McCutcheon didn't like that he got hit on the fourth pitch of the at-bat. And keep this in mind as we listen and you want to roll your eyes. And I perhaps will want to roll my eyes too. Andrew McCutcheon is a really smart, mature, likable, impressive person as a baseball player. Uh, It's the first pitch, right? Um, It was a cutter for a strike off the way. Um, And then they proceed to, you know, have three more chances. Um, I don't know if it was because I'm a little older and I was raised in a different era. But, uh, you know, back when, you know, you guys knew it was coming, you got it right away. You didn't wait around. There was no lollygagging. It was, it was, it was you know, you're going to get hit and you're going to get hit. And you had a couple tries to do it. If you missed, oh, well, get the next one. But I think the biggest takeaway for me is, I mean, you know, you're throwing a slider away on the first pitch for a strike. And, you know, what are you trying to do? You know, you're trying to make me guess like, oh, you're going to pitch to me now and then you're going to try and hit me and get three chances. That's a little much, man. I've been hurt before with that. Um, 2014, uh, we, we broke. Goldschmidt's hand broke, broke his wrist. I went in the next game. I knew I was going to get hit, and I had two sliders throwing me the first two pitches, and I got 95 up and in and in, in the ribs, and I ended up breaking my ribs. So I do take that a little personal when you know you're throwing off-speed pitches, you know, the first pitch, and then and then you're trying to hit somebody, you know, to hurt them. That's exactly what you're trying to do. You're trying to hit. You're not just trying to hit them. You're trying to hurt them. So. Um, I think there's some guys old enough over there who hopefully understand that and, um, and, and know that there's a, there's, a, there's a different way to do it. All right, think about this. Think about what he had to say there. That's really interesting. That's Andrew McCutcheon. And I went back and looked at the situation in 2014. He did indeed uh, break a rib, and he's obviously sensitive about this because it was the same situation as he said there. He took some sliders low and away, said, oh, okay, I guess they're not going to hit me in 2014. So he leaned out over the plate and took one in the ribs. He was unable to turn and have it hit him in the back, which is what he's saying. So yesterday, Andrew McCutcheon's point is, all right, you want to hit me? Go ahead and hit me. Hit me on the first pitch and hit me in the middle of the back. That's how you do it. That's interesting to me. Because, yes, is it unwritten rule crap that is frustrating because everybody's just supposed to know? Does it go along with a 90-mile-an-hour fastball coming at you with 350 milliseconds to react, and that seems an outrageous way to go about your business and possibly hurt somebody? Yes. Is it baseball? Yes. Um. Is it like is it like an elbow in the chest when you're boxing somebody out in basketball? Is it baseball's version of that? Is it making sure you get a hit on a running back or wide receiver when they're blindsided on a reverse or something like that, or on a a guy in the secondary, or, you know, or after a turnover in football, making sure you get that hit so they feel it and they know it's coming? It's that it's that's version of it. Is it a little barbaric? Is what I'm saying? Yeah, a little. Is it how the game is played? Yes. Is it unwritten rules that everybody should know? That part is so difficult and so tedious at times. But as I mentioned before the cut, Andrew McCutcheon is about as respected and thoughtful as they come. I think 
I think I might be Team McCutcheon on this one. I so coming into this, like literally this segment, I was like, man, what a crybaby! Like, get over this. But then hearing that cut, going back and doing like you just said, looking up and seeing what happened, I can understand this. I think where I have the issue though is. That it's like, you know, McCutcheon's talking about from a personal experience. The Cubs are coming from a personal experience. They're all-star catcher getting smacked by this particular team. Again and again and again, again and again and, and again. again and again. Mm-hmm. And and the Brewers are like, whether they're meaning to or not, this is their game plan for Contreras, and they're not executing it. And I feel like that right there is where, like, you know, McCutcheon's talking about a personal experience where he got hit you're talking and dealing with a team that's continuously getting smacked. Like there should have been some common ground here, but it was just kind of like, well, you're hitting me. Well, you're hitting me. Well, well that, what we- that, that's what it devolves into. Um, it's, it's interesting. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who are not going to agree with where we are on it, Sean. But sure. as I, as I listened, I got to say, I understand what McCutcheon, where McCutcheon's come from. You're going to hit me. Okay. Hit me. That's probably how I would feel. Right. If I was getting smacked, like if I'm McCutcheon and I feel like, you know, I get the situation, I understand I'm probably going to get plunked. You know, Mm -hmm. like you said, throw the first pitch. Let's get it over with. Everyone understands the intent that I mean, sure, he got hit in the butt, but, you know, three, one, two, six, forty four, sixty seven, sixty seven. Got callers we can get to got textures on this. Here's one. Sorry, but Andrew McCutcheon doesn't get to dictate when he's hit. Here's another. I agree with Kutch. If we're retaliating to send a message, you should 100 percent do it on the first pitch. You're going to get suspended anyway. See, this way that Thompson could say, which he did say after the game, I was just working on stuff, just working on my cutter, and it got away from me. And it's, you know what? I hate that. I really hate that. I know why he wants to say it, because that'll lessen the suspension, right? This is, this is the system that we have uh, set up. Texter. McCutcheon should have had that conversation with his manager if he wanted to avoid being hit. Obviously, the Brewers have a thing about hitting Cubs batters. Um, several people pointing out to me on Twitter that Cubs pitchers have hit Brewers batters, I believe it's 24 times since 2020. So you've got a lot of that going on. How often is it intentional? How often is it not intentional? It's, it's fascinating. It's, it, it's, not, it's not a very direct way of being barbaric. It is disguised. It is tried... Um, to be executed artfully so you can limit the suspension. More texts. Screw McCutcheon. Tell his pitchers to stop hitting the other team. He failed to address that. Well, he kind of admits that he thought he had it coming. That's the thing. He, he spoke a little longer. And, and he knows. He knows. Here's one. I get what McCutcheon is saying, but don't you think that Thompson is, Thompson is trying to make it look accidental to avoid a finer suspension? Plausible deniability when you throw off speed a couple pitches. That is 100% correct. So now the option becomes, if you're McCutcheon, have a little eye contact with Thompson. So Thompson's like, I'm going to hit you, but not to like the third or fourth pitch. Here it comes. Here it comes. It's so ridiculous. I know. It is so ridiculous. But part of me kind of enjoys it. I got to say. I, like, I'm a little bit with this texture who says, maybe it's just the meatball in me, but the best part was Contreras getting up and staring at McCutcheon like you're going to have to go through me to get to my pitcher. That's hilarious. I mean, we all have some of that in us. It's the Neanderthal gene that Doug Buffone used to talk about on Sunday mornings and afternoons and during the week right here on The Score. We all have some of that in us. That's really interesting. That's what Pat Hughes says sometimes, and... Chris Tano plays it to mock me, but I actually do think it's interesting. We'll talk about it with you. We'll continue 
on this topic and on the phone lines of 312-644-6767. So much White Sox coming. James Fegan at the top of the 11 o'clock hour. Chris Kampka coming up at 1040, but your phone calls and me and Sean Sears, our producer, coming up. It's Matt Spiegel doing hit and run on a Sunday morning on The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score, Chicago's sports station. Rondell loads up and crushes this ball deep to right and bring him home. 4 nothing Sox in the sixth inning. That ball was demolished. Ah, yes. This music is what I think this show is. That's what it feels like to me. That's what it's going to be for me this week in baseball. I get to come in here. Hi, folks. Time to take a look at Twib Notes from around the American League. All right, that was a bad Mel Allen. That was more like time for timer. Um, If anybody remembers that, which they probably also don't. I'm speaking to the olds right now. Um, hopefully you olds will enjoy This Week in Baseball references. Did I ever tell you I interned at This Week in Baseball for two summers in 1988 and 1989? Oh, I did? I did talk about that? Okay, good. Well, I'll talk about it some other time. But anyway, This Week in Cubs and Sox Baseball is kind of what Hit and Run is on a Sunday morning. So that's why we'll use that music every week at some point. And um, one of the big conversations has been about hit-by-pitches and stuff that has gone on with the Brewers and the Cubs the last couple of days, fully expecting a Keegan Thompson suspension. Also, one of the conversations has been about banning the shift or not. I can tell you that after my little dissertation on why I would ban the shift, I have gotten a disagreeing tweet from Scott and Davenport, Dan Bernstein's appointed statistical genius, and from a former hit-and-run host who is listening right now and reached out to me via text personally, a former hit-and-run host with very long and disagreeing thoughts. I love it. As baseball people. We'll get back to that topic, and I'll play you Theo Epstein on Banning the Shift from Jason Stark's podcast earlier in the week. And when I say Jason Stark's podcast, it's Jason Stark and Doug Glanville, friend of the show, Doug Glanville, a wonderful guy. Even if he needs to expand his listening beyond just Hall and Oates, he spends way too much time with only Hall and Oates. We try. We try to expand the horizons. Although he loves, he loves very good music. He loves the spinners. He loves Sam Cooke, Gamble and Huff, and all sorts of Philly soul. But none of that is why you called. It is the score. It is hit and run. Taking your phone calls. Chris Kampka gets us camp connected in about 20 minutes. Danny is in Aurora on the score. Good morning, Danny. What's happening? Hey, Matt, I uh, just want to do a loop to something that you said before we, you went on break. Um, about McCutcheon, um, I'm 100% on board with the Cubs and what they were trying to do and all that, 27 times, ridiculous. But wrong guy, I think. McCutcheon's is only McCutcheon's only had the jersey on for like three days. What is your thought on that? Couldn't they hit like Yelich, someone else, someone that's been on the team for a bit? Absolutely. Uh, that's fair. He's not uh, representative. But maybe the game situation or the moment – fit what David Ross wanted to do or what Keegan Thompson decided to do, depending on how that all went down, what Wilson Contreras decided to call. We don't know the nuance of that, and they won't obviously cop to it in the name of transparency. What were the conversations like? Did Ross say to Wilson, all right, you want to get him back? Okay, fine. 
Yeah, you work on it. You decide. Did Ross say to Wilson, let's get them back? Go, you and Keegan, do it here at this moment. We don't know who made the call. So I hear what you're saying. Might have been Keegan deciding this is the moment. I'm going to show my teammates I have their back. That happens an awful lot. A pitcher on his own. Uh, obviously, the volatility of Contreras and the fact that he was the victim could have meant that he forced that will onto Keegan. And Keegan said, okay, I'll do what I need to do because I can't turn down my catcher. You know, those dynamics, those personal dynamics are fascinating to me. I always think of uh, Sean Estes, who refused to hit somebody when he was a Met. He refused to hit somebody when Clemens has hit, had hit Piazza. Do I have that right? Sometimes I get lost in those details. I'll look it up. But, yeah, there have been lots of times where a pitcher refuses to hit somebody. You remember the Ozzie Guillen one? It was a rookie. Google it, Sean Sears, would you? They, they sent a rookie down, did the White Sox, because he didn't hit somebody, and Ozzie Guillen was pissed. I believe it was in Texas. So the White Sox had a young pitcher who didn't go out and hit somebody when Ozzie Guillen wanted him to, and he got sent down to the minor leagues that very day. Sean Tracy? Sean Tracy is the name I'm looking for. So those, those situations happen all the time. So I understand your point about McCutcheon. We just don't know who actually made the call. Did you order the code red? Who ordered the code red? Jim is in Beecher on the score. Hello, Jim. Good morning. Hey, happy Sunday, guys. Love your show, man. Thank you, Jim. Uh, my uh, comment on it, and I, I'll preface this by saying I'm not a Cub fan, and the reason I called was when I heard that 27 times that the Cubs were hit by the Brewers since 20, my first thought was, well, wait a minute. It sounds like uh, David Ross has totally mismanaged this to let it get this far, and then I hear the Cubs have hit the Brewers <laughs> 24 times. So I owe an apology to David Ross. <laughs> But I will say this, uh, Wilson Contreras getting hit 15 times, uh, I'll just put it this way. If he gets hit one more time by the Brewers, Yelich or Kane should get one right on the bat handle, and I'll leave it at that. Oi, the bat handle. The problem with throwing them one on the bat handle is that you can break their wrist. You can break their hamate bone. You can break two fingers. You can end a season. So if we're really doing this, if we're eye for an eyeing this and doing it the right way, you hit somebody in the middle of the back. That's what you do. Hit them in the butt where there's lots of padding. I, I, you know, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure there's some managers who would not care if somebody gets hurt, but you don't need to do that. Contreras is, uh, <laughs> Contreras, uh, is controversial, right? Contreras is active. He has unnecessary cat-like reflexes sometimes. Sometimes they're necessary. He's got that much more under control. He's got a lot of emotion, a lot of ebullience. He tosses a bat very well, very skillfully and entertainingly. So you've got some of that that goes on. And maybe the Brewers do have it out for him. He also is a really good hitter. Has had good numbers against the Brewers and a lot of power. And right-handed pitchers of consequence like Burns and Woodruff and uh, Freddie Peralta, they like to try and retake the inside part of the plate. And Wilson doesn't really like to get out of the way. 
So they're not all intentional. You can't just look at the raw numbers of 27 and say, oh, every single one of those was intentional. Not every single one of them was. This is Tony in Wonderlake on 670 The Score. Hey, Tony, how are you? Welcome in. Good morning, Speaks. Great show, man. Thanks, brother. Um, you know, the casual fan doesn't realize, like what you were alluding to before, there are hundreds of unwritten rules and nuances to the game that make it beautiful. You know, I, I think the players today are, have reached a level of entitlement like I've never seen before. Nobody can take anything. Everything has to be a retaliatory or something like this. You know, that's the way baseball was played. I totally agree with McCutcheon in the fact that if you're going to go out and hit somebody, go ahead and hit them. But, see, the thing is, I agree with him that you're totally unprepared if a pitch comes in on the third or fourth. And baseball, that's the way the game is played. The umpires have ruined the game. They issue warnings before games even start. They give the pitcher no advantage on the inside corner. And because of that, you know, I, I think it's okay that the game is played that way. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they're going away from that, but it's refreshing to see if it's done the right way because that's the nuance of baseball. That's what makes it beautiful. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate the call very much. Um, I understand where you're coming from. Tricky situation, to be sure. Uh, Coming up later on today, right here on The Score, it'll be the Cubs and the Milwaukee Brewers in the finale of their four-game set. Only got three of them in, decided not to squeeze in the rain out into a doubleheader, or the snow out, or whatever that was, into a doubleheader. That will instead be part of a game a part of a day-night split doubleheader on Memorial Day. So it'll be at 1.20 Central Time. Marcus Stroman for the Cubs against the aforementioned Freddie Peralta for the Milwaukee Brewers. Full slate of games on a Sunday, of course. Coming up earlier than that, uh, just after the noon hour, it'll be the White Sox and the Tigers. Tariq Skubal, one of the very good young pitchers for Detroit against Michael Kopech of the White Sox. What are the White Sox going to get out of Michael Kopech today? He was, the idea was going into the final spring training game that Michael Kopech would get a nice, clean two, three inning tune up and then be ready to go maybe four innings today. You know, maybe even five innings today. But there's no way in hell that's going to happen. Kopech threw only two innings and they were interrupted, which I think, didn't they do the funky thing where they took Kopech out of the second because he couldn't finish and then he came back out and threw another one? Saw the Cubs do that with Drew Smiley in a game that um, that I was doing play-by-play for in Arizona. So, yeah, Kopech um, threw two innings in his final tune-up. At one point, he threw six straight balls in the first. And then in the second, he allowed the first five batters to reach base, three of those on walks. So he was erratic. He only hit at about 95 miles per hour, which is a tick or two below where you want him to hit. He said he felt up, and he said, quote, when I'm synced up, that will all be there where it's supposed to be. Kopech said he had very little feel for the baseball, and he pressed a little bit trying to find the strike zone instead of attacking hitters like he knows how to do. So we'll see what you get out of him today. Kopech will start, and then what? We know that Vince Velasquez has been named the opening the home opener starter, it's hard to say that without grimacing. Not rambling and grimacing, but simply just grimacing. When Vince Velasquez is the, is the home opener starter, it's just not what you want to do. But Kopech will go today. Ronaldo Lopez, Tony La Russa said earlier today, is going to stay 
in the bullpen for now. Maybe when Joe Kelly comes back, they will discuss Ronaldo Lopez as a possible rotation guy. I think that should happen as soon as possible while you're waiting for Johnny Cueto. In my opinion, I was very impressed with what Reynaldo did uh, after the break last year. Thought he reinvented himself in a way that a lot of us didn't think was possible. I would hustle Ronaldo into that rotation. But that's um, that's not that's not you know I'm not your manager, and we don't know who's starting for the White Sox on Thursday. Larusa said they have somebody in mind, so that's uh, the big thing to look for in the White Sox game today is what you end up getting out of Michael Kopech. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven is the phone number. Uh, lots of phone callers here talking about the Cubs and the hit by pitch stuff. We'll get to Chris Kampka in about eight or ten minutes. I'm intrigued by Rich in Old Town, who apparently, according to our producer, Sean Sears, knows everything because he's rich. So, Rich, I look forward to this conversation. Please tell me what you know and what can make us better. Thank you, Rich. Okay, if I tell you what what I know, that'll be a brief conversation. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, tell me what you think then, Rich. Let's do that. Good. I I was going to call and ask you this question is, I think the boys in the desert uh, know what they're doing. And I looked at over and unders for total wins this season. Yeah. I've not really gotten a satisfactory explanation, but the White Sox, I think, are better this year, even with a – this was set before all the pitching got hurt. And it still was a decline from last year. They won 93 last year. Their over and under for this year is 91 and a half. Don't understand that. I think they're going to be better than last year. And the thing that really – made me scratch my head is the Cubs improved three and a half or four games. They've got them at <clears throat> the latest I saw was 76. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just want to get your opinion. I, I think the Cubs would be lucky to win 65, but that's my opinion. <laughs> not what I know. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't understand how you downgrade the white Sox in terms of total wins. When I think they're, they're more effective this year. All right. It's a good question. I'll tell you my first thought on the White Sox thing. The Tigers are going to be pretty good. I know that Tigers number is 77 and a half before the season began. That was my number one play for an over on season-long win totals. I think think for the Tigers, this is their bonus year, like the Cubs were in 2015, like the White Sox were in 2020, when it's just before your project is supposed to be finished here. But you've gone ahead and added uh, a veteran or two, Eduardo Rodriguez at the top of that Tigers rotation is the guy they're expecting to be their ace. And then they have all these good young pitchers that come after it. They also added Michael Pineda. They have a real good manager. Spencer Torkelson is here from opening day. They went out and signed Baez and others, kept Jonathan Scope. I I think the Tigers are going to be better. So that should take a couple of wins away from the White Sox. Also, the Twins got very aggressive, and they were terrible last year. So the Twins with Buxton and Correa at the top of that lineup and Sonny Gray and others. So that's how you lose a couple wins in your division. And again, the final year of the unbalanced schedule. So that's the main thing. Maybe the boys in Vegas also thought that the White Sox should have done more in the starting rotation. That was a prevailing thought that I certainly had before these injuries. So maybe that was the thought. And now you've got the injuries, and that 91 actually seems to make a lot of sense, right? So that's my thought for you on the White Sox total. On the Cubs total, 
you've watched the offense the past couple days. Um, you know, but again, it's division relative. The Reds are going to be bad. They gave up a lot of people. They're selling off. The Pirates might be the worst team in baseball. It's going to be between the Pirates and the Orioles, probably for the worst team in baseball. Unbalanced schedule. How will the Cardinals be with no Jack Flaherty at the beginning? The Brewers should run away and hide in this division, theoretically. That was my other big play for my buddy who bets the season-long win totals. He asked me for my two strongest plays. I said Tigers over and Brewers over. He's texting me every day angrily. Brewers over, Spiegel said. Oh, look at you. It's a lock, Spiegel said. I still think it's a lock Um, because of the division. We'll see. See how good the Cubs actually are, right? But that's the big one for the Cubs, why they went down, because they traded away all their stars, or why they went up, he's wondering, because the division is not very good. Okay. 670, the score is where you are. It is hit and run. I am Matt Spiegel. It is a Sunday morning. It's our first of the year. We'll be here every Sunday. Sean Sears is the producer. James Fegan from The Athletic will join us uh, at the top of the 11 o'clock hour. But next, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago, Chris Kampka, gets us Camp Connected right here on The Score. This is Sports Radio 670, The Score, Chicago's sports station. Here we go. If you make sure you're connected. A good Sunday morning to you. It is Matt Spiegler with you on Hit and Run. And it's been too long since I have been cam connected. I like to get myself cam connected. And really the only way to do that is to talk to Chris Kamka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago. And he joins us right now on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Chris Kamka. Happy New Year. Happy opening day a couple of days ago. Happy White Sox one-and-one start. Happy baseball. Happy hit and run. Thank you for joining us, sir. How are you? No, I'm great. You know, to hear that song again and actually rattle off stats, it's great. Because I hear it in the supermarket, and I just start saying things, and people look at me funny. (laughs) Now it actually has a place, and let's roll. Let's roll, baby. Um, By the way, Chris Kampka's son, who's now almost two? Mateo? He'll he'll be two in July. Wow. All right. Well, that's a beautiful name, Mateo. It's a little too Italian, but it's so close to being a really, really good name. Um, Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run on on Sunday mornings here on The Score. Uh, Baseball baseball kid? He he owns some baseball stuff, Chris? Um, Yeah, I mean, he he, he likes to pick up the ball and throw it. So, you know, (laughs) we got to start. Uh, he likes to grab the bat, so you know we're we're getting going. You know we just got to teach him to get a good swing going. Yeah, I'm so glad I asked. Yeah, yeah, he likes to pick up the ball and throw it. You, you bet, man. So do I. Uh, by the way, um, so here's what we're gonna do on Sunday mornings with Chris Kampka. He is going to uh, give us something that he finds interesting. From the week that was, maybe even the weekend that was, regarding the Cubs. And the White Sox. And we always appreciate the thought process. So you, sir, I give you carte blanche. Start wherever you like. What you got? Well, my favorite thing with the Cubs was in the season opener. Nico Nico Horner took Corbin Burns deep. And that's amazing to me. And I wonder when's the last time a Cub player hit a home run off the previous season's Cy Young Award winner 
season opener. Hmm. And you ha- and now they haven't faced all that many Cy Young Award winners in the season opener. Greg Maddox in 1993 didn't allow much of anything to the Cubs. So you have to go back to 1971 when Bob Gibson faced the Cubs on the season opener. Wow. And Billy Williams hit a walk-off homer. And that's part of it. The, the most in, the most amazing thing about it is Horner didn't hit any home runs last year. Billy Williams hit 42 the previous season. So this makes it even more improbable. That's really cool. So the last time a Cubs player hit a home run on opening day against a, a recent Cy Young Award winner. A, that's, the previous season Cy Young Award winner. The reigning Cy Young Award winner was Billy Williams off Bob Gibson. That yep. is awesome. Um, and both of the references are, are amazing for different reasons, obviously. That was Greg Maddox's first game as a Brave after he left Chicago for Atlanta, which is obviously a horrible memory for everyone. And on that day, I just called up the box score. Eight and a third innings, five hits, no runs, four strikeouts, three walks. Greg Maddox uh, was really good. Mike Stanton got the save. Mike Morgan was pretty good for the Cubs, but not good enough to beat Maddox in a one nothing Braves win uh, at Wrigley Field. So... Yeah, that one that one hurts a little bit. They they probably should have signed Maddox in '93. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, it would have helped. <laughs> That's an... Let's just put it lightly. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best and completely accurate response. Oh God, you're the best. All right, that's great. And Nico Horner, you know what happened, by the way, at the end of that game. When David Ross walked in, Chris, did you hear about this? He walked into the media. First thing he said was, "Who had Nico in the home run pool?" Who had Nico in the first home run pool? Was it Rossi said, which is no, just about as many people as home runs he hit the previous year. <laughs> I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that is the case. I myself had Nico Horner on beat the streak that day because I felt it because and this was completely, Chris, um, anecdotal. Nico's in really good shape. Like you remember when he came off the couch in 2019 to help the Cubs after being the first round pick. And he was like a very thin young man. And then last year he shows up and he was big and thick and muscular and powerful. But then he had a lot of soft tissue injuries this year. He looks just right. Like the third bear, you know, so well, cons- he, he, he yep. knew he could hit. Yes. And so, you know, a little extra pop wouldn't have surprised me at all. Yeah, but the pop, I think, led to some of the soft tissue stuff. Now he's lost a little of that weight back, and he seems to be in a really good place physically. So he's the third bear and call me Goldilocks. All right, it's hit and run on the score. James Fegan of the White Sox at the top of the hour. Um, all right, what you got for the White Sox? What did you like for the White Sox, sir? Well, yesterday was one of the biggest locks in baseball, if you know what I'm talking about. Dylan Cease faced the Tigers. He improved a 9-0 and career against Detroit. Now, not only is that great, that that stands right now is the most wins against a single opponent in White Sox history without a defeat. And he looked great. And, I mean, he stepped up big time last year. But, I mean, Detroit, they can't touch the guy. 9-0 and with a 2.08 ERA in, ken- in 10 career starts against the Tigers for Dylan Cease. Just. Yeah, I mean, and then Cease stepped up. In 2020, he had 12 starts. He didn't have more than five strikeouts in any of them. In the 33 starts since, he's had at least six strikeouts, more than five, in 24 of the 33. 
he's transformed. He is just, well, I mean, he's showing flashes of that in 2019 when he first came up. But in 2020, the strikeout stuff kind of just disappeared. But he's come back with a vengeance, and he looks like a sleeper Cy Young candidate. All right, out of the shoot. Yeah, no, and, and you're not the only one who has thought that. Saw pitching ninja throw that around. Cease is a possible Cy Young candidate. We um, had Lucas Giolito on the score the other day. Asked him who was going to have more strikeouts, him or Cease, and he said, "Oh, it's Dylan. Have you seen? Have you seen his stuff? Have you seen? Like that's his teammate. That's his own teammate." Thinking about that. All right, outstanding. I look forward to getting Cam connected every week. An awesome uh, Cubs nugget, an awesome White Sox nugget. Because this is our first time of the year and because I'm starting a new thing this year, Chris Kampka, I want to ask you for your baseball bona fides. Did it with Sean Sears in hour number one. I get to do it with you right now. You ready to go? Let's do it. Who is one of your most favorite players in the game, past or present, and why? Okay, well, the answer for number one all-time for me is Carlton Fisk. I just grew up at the right time. You know, um, 1983 White Sox team is the first team I remember, you know, things about what team they were. Um, Love those uniforms. Every one of the baseball cards I got of him growing up, he looked looked sweet in that catcher's gear. Uh, He had a cool nickname, Pudge. He wore an unusual number, 72, for the White Sox. And plus, he played a really long career, and I just like guys who hang in there yeah. and play a long career. And he, I mean, what, 25 years at the most ruling position in baseball, catcher. Yeah. I mean, he was still catching all the way to the end. Just remarkable. Um, Ron Coomer, by the way, learned to hit from Carlton Fisk in part and just thinks the world of Fisk as a human, and that's, that's certainly good enough for me, too, on that level. Love it. Um, what is the best game you have ever had a chance to see in person, Chris Kamka? Okay, so let me ask you. So I <laughs> seeing game in person, yeah. now I work games in the broadcast truck. Do you want to count those? Yes, yeah, that counts. That counts for me. You're as close as, as you could be other than in the stands. Yeah, I'd count that. Okay. Then probably that's probably um, – Giolito's no-hitter was my first. Wow. Uh, my first no-hitter. So, and I remember the way that was in the truck. There was a bad, um, it was a bad storm, and, and I think there was, I think it was either a storm or something happened where the feed went out, and we missed an inning of the game. So, it's like, what happens? And then, and then all of a sudden, we're back, and, and, and I mean, it's, I mean, he's going, he's going, he's going, and he actually finished and sealed the deal. The first and only no-hitter in White Sox history to this day with 10 or more strikeouts. He completely dominated. That's a great— and Just to be able to be yeah. part of you know the production of a no-hitter, you get all the cool um, fun facts you throw out there. You break it down completely by pitch, um, fly ball, ground ball, first pitch strikes, all that stuff. We're nailing it, and I'm part of it. And it was just really a ton of fun to do. Oh, that's so cool. I love, love that answer. And— you know, nobody was in the stands, Chris, so you couldn't have right. been there. You couldn't have been close to it any other way. It's 2020 with an empty crowd. I remember standing up with my wife um, and walking over and standing as close to the, the TV in our living room as I could and cheering, you know, with a, with a glass of wine and cheering and watching, just hoping for him to finish it. And the, and the fact that it was McCann made so much sense in the world. It was such a wonderful thing for the, for both of those guys. So thank you for yeah, that. L- love that the answer. Greatest, yeah. I mean, that, that would be the greatest. And the most bizarre is kind of similar. The most bizarre game I ever nope, worked. Nope, nope. Sorry. Nope, okay. nope. Another time. 
Most bizarre is a All different. Right. It's a different segment. Okay, it's a different batch of questions, buddy. Sweet. Okay. Can't wait. Uh, what is one thing you would change if you were commissioner, Chris Kampka? What's one thing you would change? Okay. I would eradicate all the tanking. Like that would be like my number one, my number one thing is let's get everybody playing the best players that they possibly can and everybody trying. Because you know I feel bad for the fan bases of the teams that have just been stuck, struggling for a decade. Yeah. And it, it just shouldn't be like that because there's some historically great franchises that right now <laughs> just been dug in a hole that they can't seem to get out of it won't for quite a while that's uh so I would do whatever i could yep to make sure that is that's wonderful wonderful stuff chris kampka happy baseball season thrilled to have you back man talk to you next week all right thanks a lot oh, hey chris 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 well yeah, i'm here i'm here what are you reading i'm told that i need to ask you what you're reading right now sir well, well i'm glad you asked and <laughs> there. There's a brand new book that's come out by the from the folks at Saber, and it's called "Not an Easy Tale to Tell: Jackie Robinson on the Page, Stage, and Screen." And with Jackie Robinson Day coming up, I'm really excited to dig into this one because what it does is going to separate fact from fiction, and it's going to tell you why the fiction is important to the story of Jackie Robinson. And I just got my copy, and I can't wait to dig into that. It's from the folks at Saber, the Society of American Baseball Research, and I'm pumped. Outstanding. Give me the title one more time, Chris. It is Not an Easy Tale to Tell, Jackie Robinson on this page, stage, and screen. Outstanding. Thank you, sir, for the recommendation. Um, That's good stuff. Thanks, Chris. Have a wonderful day. All right. Thanks. You too. All right, buddy. That's Chris Kampka right there on 670 The Score. How about this? How about this? A guy on Twitter says that Kampka's answer, boy, the Cubs should have probably kept Greg Maddox after 92, huh? Because Maddox went on to have pretty, you know, pretty good career in Atlanta, uh, I'd say, um, after that, you know. How many Cy Youngs did he win in Atlanta? Four? Yeah, I was going to say at least three. At least three, maybe four. It was kind of ridiculously great. Uh, was Greg Maddox uh, afterwards. Chris, uh, the Cubs should have kept him after 92, huh? He says, would have helped. Maybe the biggest understatement of our baseball lifetime. You were right, uh, Speaks, by the way, four four, uh, Cy Youngs. Four Cy Youngs for Maddox in Atlanta. Seasons with an ERA in the 90s, folks, of 2.36, 1.56, 1.63. Three others in the twos. And then another one later on in 2002, just outrageous. Had a chance to talk to him one Sunday morning on a hit and run. Was one of the thrills of this host's lifetime. That's for sure. We will step away here on Hit and Run, come back. We're here with you until 1245 for Cubs pregame. James Fegan of The Athletic gets inside the White Sox with us and you next on The Score. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. 
Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. A left 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.